Welcome to the Shepherd's Crick Podcast. This ministry exists to provide coaching, resources, and events for pastors and church members. My name is Jared Sparks. Join me as I talk pastoral ministry, applied theology like manhood and womanhood, political theology, and cultural analysis with a little bit of hunting and fishing thrown in. I'm a husband, a father, and a pastor, and I'm here to remind you of the chief pastor and our King, Jesus. Good morning and welcome back to the Shepherd's Rick Podcast. This is episode 453 or 454, I believe. Hope you guys are all doing well today. Pretty excited to be back at it this morning. I'm going to be talking to you about a hunt, Ransom's first hunt. He got a shot off on a deer. I'll tell you about it. We're going to talk about just the good news of Jesus Christ this morning. You know, in a world of everything going wild and crazy, just want to bring us back in and talk about the gospel of Jesus. And I, it's really dawned on me that there are some non-Christians that listen to this show just from a couple different ways I've been able to figure that out of people within our community and around that there are people listening in just to hear what I'm saying that they think is is crazy. And so I, I really, if you're one of those people, I just want to talk to you about Jesus today and tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing and why Christians do what they do. And we're going to talk about the glory of the cross and why it's folly to some and the power of God to others. And then we're going to talk about New Testament fatherhood. When we started the book of Luke, we got into John the Baptist. And I'm just going to talk a couple passages about the differences between Old Testament fatherhood and New Testament fatherhood and the unique privilege we have as men that have the Holy Spirit of God within us to father in a way that's unique in the New Covenant, as opposed to fathering in the Old Covenant, this ability that we have to be better fathers. And really, it's just kind of a thought experiment. And it's not a well thought out theological uh, discipline, thinking about New Testament, Old Testament fatherhood, but it is an observation that I think warrants some good and critical thought from you. So take it and run with it and think through it and process it, and hopefully it will be helpful and encouraging to you this morning. Okay, let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's help, and then we'll talk about Ransom's first time. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. ask for a blessing upon the, the next uh, few minutes, and I pray this is encouraging and helpful to people. God, I wanted to honor you. God, I pray it's also just uh, easy to pe- for people to listen to. For those that are not Christians that may be listening in, I, I don't. I pray that it's not easy for them. I pray that they would feel uncomfortable and that they would be just prodded by the Holy Spirit to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus, and that they would see the good news of the gospel for what it is. It's good news, and uh, just trust you're going to help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. We went out for the first time. October the 1st is the first day of, of deer hunting season for bow and crossbow. And we got a crossbow for ransom. I had been told by my uh, buddy Ben, who you're going to hear from here in the next couple of weeks on an interview. He said the best way to get younger children into hunting is to get a crossbow. So we got a crossbow and we got ransom out. And it was, I think it was, yeah, it was October the 1st. It was Sunday night. So just two days ago. And we just sat there for about an hour and then saw a doe and a yearling. And then we saw coming right down the little path that we were sitting in front of, we saw a yearling and then a good sized doe it was probably the mom and then uh, several does that were following. And I said, Ransom, this is it. This is your chance. They were going to walk five yards in front of us. So we're sitting up in the stand and that first yearling that walked right in front of us was three to five yards away and looks right at us. I'm talking, just turns and looks right at us. And I'm whispering because I'm just right, you know, right next to Ransom. I'm, I'm whispering, don't move, you know, don't move, don't move. And 
Ransom couldn't see. He didn't have the perspective that I had because he's shorter and he was sitting down and holding that crossbow. And so he was seated down and I was standing up and I could see what was happening and he couldn't. Well, he moved a little bit because he was trying to angle the crossbow where he can actually see through the scope to be able to get the deer in, in line of sight. Well, because he was moving a little bit, that deer saw us and blew out of there and then all the does ran off and then one ran down about 20 yards and looked back and was not quartered to us it was looking back from us and that window of the vitals was just tiny and he said dad can i shoot and i said and i should have waited the lesson i learned is i should have said nope wait till that wait till it turns completely sideways the little little yearling didn't and he shot and missed and so we went through this. He, he thought he shot it, was very excited. It was so intense. You know, when you're deer hunting, it can be just really slow. And then all of a sudden a deer comes up and you're just, I mean, your adrenaline's flowing and it just changes so quick. I mean, it just, just like that you're, you know, in intense mode and he missed it, thought he shot it at first though. It was like, yeah, you know, jumping up and down, so excited. And then, you know, kind of came down that adrenaline you know, fizzled out when he realized he didn't shoot it, but we learned some great lessons and he really had a good time. And one of the things that he learned is, okay, I've got to obey my dad, even though I don't have the perception he had, I thought I could see. And I didn't, I didn't see that deer that was right in front of us because the stand that we were sitting in was kind of like a, a big, it was a big built out stand by this uh, gentleman that's retired. He lets us hunt on his property. He calls it his hotel. So we were sitting in his hotel and it sits up and it's just like a, it's a big platform with a roof on it and he couldn't he just couldn't see and so he had to trust my word and because he couldn't see he trusted he was trying to trust himself and his you know his intuition about trying to get that in line of sight and then ended up spooking that deer so one of the things that he learned and we talked through and got to work through and this is just what's so great about hunting is you get to you get to learn and walk through different lessons about life and this one this one particular lesson happened to be you have to obey your dad even though your perception is different and you can't see what he can see you've got to trust what he's telling you and so next time i said you know what are you going to do next time i said don't move and he said i'm not going to move he's going to be just completely still and so we're going to get to go out on friday night and it, the weather looks great we're trying to hunt smarter, not harder this year because our baby is due and we just have a limited amount of time that we can hunt. So we're trying to hit it hard in October on the really good days to hunt. So we're going to go down to uh, another place that we get to hunt on Friday and hopefully he'll get one and I'll get one. That's the hope. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, if you've not been a hunter your whole life, I just started my mid thirties. This is, I think my year five on uh, year, my fifth year hunting, I believe. And with each year, you know, I've learned so many lessons and I'm able to teach my boys now and they're just going to grow up and this is just going to be a part of their life. They're not going to have to go through all the growing pains that I had to go through. And I just get to pass that along to them. It's just, it's a blast. I love it. Absolutely love it. Okay. Let's switch gears a little bit. We're just going to talk about the gospel of Jesus. And I want you to consider this. If you are one of the few people in our town of Carbondale that are listening in, and uh, I went to the city council meeting and went to a couple city council meetings, and I found out from uh, other reports of other Christians that go to the city council that, that somebody there was talking about a podcast, my podcast, talking about what I was talking about to the city council and in a very negative way. So I, I know that there are some people that listen in, and this is really just for you and for all my other listeners that know Jesus, love Jesus. It's always good to reconsider the good news of the gospel, isn't it? I mean, every time we, we come to the Lord's table on Sunday mornings, we're thinking through the body and the blood of Jesus, and we're thinking through and remembering what Christ did for us. And so it's always good just to, to think about that. And so for our church, you've heard me talk about this, and, and you've heard me preach and talk about the gospel of Jesus every single week. And, and I'm just going to go back to the good news, okay? So 
First Corinthians chapter one, verse 18 says this, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Okay. Two groups of people. One group thinks that the word of the cross is folly. The other thinks it's the power of God unto salvation. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Why the difference? One thinks it's folly. One thinks it's power. And to this day, this verse rings true. There's people throughout this world, 7.2 billion people or whatever, and there's two groups of people. There's people who think the, the cross is folly, or they know not, nothing of the cross, and there are people that believe that the cross is the power of God. Why? is Why the contrast? So let, let's talk folly first, and we're just going to talk bad news for a second. And I want you to hang in, hang tight when I talk about the bad news, because we do live in a world where you get just inundated with bad news all the time. There's just an assault of bad news, but this is the worst of the worst news. The reason the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, because it announces to the world that you are a sinner, that you have sinned against a holy God. You see that, you see the bloody cross, you hear concepts of hell and God's wrath, and it uh, brushes up against our, our sensibilities. And it, it offends us. The fact that the cross tells us you are a sinner bothers us. And some preachers have have come and so-called preachers have tried to twist that and say, no, the cross is about your worth. We're going to see how that's folly in just a second. But it, it, it really is bad news for the announcement that you're a sinner, that you deserve God's wrath, that your life has been weighed and the balances and what you have merited by the life that you li you've lived is the judgment of God. And it bothers people. And the, the bad news, if you don't check out, you get to the good news. Okay, so many people check out right now. And that's why they think the word of the cross is folly, because they can't tolerate a message that says, I'm wrong, that I've done something that, that has warranted eternal wrath. I have done something that put Jesus on the cross. They, they just can't merit that. They they love victim mentality. They love hearing about their worth or value and how, you know, really isn't their fault or, you know, want a way to excuse their own sins, behaviors. It's, you know, hurt people do, do you know, hurt people hurt people. Um, I am a product of my environment that sort of thing. I, you know, I used to go to Cardinal baseball games when I was growing up and I really loved going to Cardinal baseball games. And let's just have an imagine, you know, let's just imagine that you're, you know, maybe you're not a sports person, you don't like sports at all, but just imagine for the sake of this, 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 uh, these next few minutes that you really like sports and you really care about the singles Cardinals. So you're going to watch a baseball game and you're going through the, and the Cardinals are just getting destroyed. I mean, it's, it's like 11 to nothing. It's in the, you know, top of the seventh. And uh, you're like, man, okay. If, if, if after this inning, if we don't score any runs, we're just getting out of here. So we're hitting the train. We parked at Fairview Heights across the river and we want to beat the traffic and we just want to beat all the crowds. So we're going to wait and see, you know, uh, the cards bat bottom of the seventh. And then after bottom of the seventh, we're, we're out of here. Okay. Well, it, you know, top of the seventh, it's 11 to nothing. The Cardinals go to bat and it's, you know, one, two, three, they're done. Okay. They're out. So it's going into the, the top of the eighth and we're out of there. So we're leaving the stadium and we get on the train and we, we head back. But as we're getting on the train, we, here we see the fireworks go off and the fireworks go off because the Cardinals hit a home run. So if the Cardinals hit a home run every time there's fireworks and we hear fireworks, oh, like, oh, they must have scored. Well, that's cool. Well, we missed it. No big deal. They're getting annihilated. So it's better that we get, you know, over and get, you know, past the traffic and the people and we just want to get out of here. So then, you you know, you're getting ready to get on the train and you hear more fireworks and you're thinking, oh, man, they, they're just now started to hit. But it's, you know, it's no big deal. And you're on the train and you're, you know, kind of going across and you're finally getting uh, to the river and then fireworks go off again. You're like, are you kidding me? What is going on? You pull out your phone and you start to see like, okay, it's 11 to four. It's 11 to four now. Like, oh man, it's 11 to four, but you know, no big deal. Like that would have been cool to see a couple home runs, but no big deal still. I mean, they're, they're losing. The bad news was really bad. I mean, it was 11 to nothing. Right. And 
you get over and you get to their car and you turn on the radio and it's 11 to nine. And it's that, you know, they just scored nine runs in the night in the bottom of the eighth. And you're like, Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like we just, the news was so bad that we left. We checked out. We thought that there's no way that there could be a comeback. There's no way that we, you know, if it was a really close game, we probably would have stayed there. And, but if the, the news was so bad that we just checked out, like we couldn't handle it. So we, we just wanted to let, we just wanted to leave. We didn't care to watch. We didn't care to stay. And then you, you're just listening to your radio and you're driving back, you know, it's too late. You can't get back to the stadium and it's the bottom of the ninth and it's 11 to 10, you know, there's a runner on second. And I mean, is this, you know, the batter, you know, he, he steps up and he hits and it's a walk-off home run and they end up winning the game. You're like, are you kidding? Like, and you're just going nuts, but you're like, we could have been there. But because of the bad news, you checked out. And when it comes to the cross, the, the, the reason why the cross so often is folly to those who are perishing is because they, they just cannot tolerate the bad news. Like, no, I'm just checking out. You're a sinner. Your life has been weighing the balance and you deserve judgment. The cross will not give you affirmation. It's not an affirmation of your worth. It's not telling you and declaring to you how glorious and how wonderful and how much God loves you. And there's a sense in which the cross displays God's love for you. And, and here in just a second, we'll see that. But the bad news is it is it displays to you. It demonstrates to you. Here's what your life deserves. The decisions you've made, the rebellion against God has merited wrath and people don't like it. And so they look at the cross and they say, that's folly. The self-help gurus, they will tell me how much, uh, how valuable I am, how worthy I am. They will tell me what I want to hear. Satan loves to affirm people all the way to hell. If you want affirmation, you can get it and you can end up in hell. Okay. So this is why so many say that the cross is folly. But to this other group, there's a group of people who look at the cross are like, this is the power of God. This is amazing. Yes, it declares to me what I've done against a holy God. It declares to me what I've merited in my life, that I have sinned against a holy God. And I deserve nothing. But it is the very power of God unto salvation. This is where we see the value of Jesus, the worth of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. The cross is not where I see my value. It's where we see Christ's value, that Jesus would actually live and die in the place of sinners, and his blood would come out with names on it. This is where we see glory. It was not some passive cross. It was not some impotent cross. It was a cross that came out with names on it. Jesus actually made an atonement. It was not a possible atonement. It was not Jesus trying. It was actually Jesus dying in the place of real sinners. And there's power there. This is the good news, that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. He obeyed his heavenly father's law perfectly. He loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he loved neighbors as himself, fulfilling the Ten Commandments, the first and second table of the law, fulfilling all of God's law in letter and in spirit. This is what Jesus did. He lived the absolute perfect life in obedience to his heavenly father. The life that we should have lived. The life that's required. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned and fallen short of, of the glory of God. But Jesus didn't. He fulfilled the law of God on our behalf. The gospel defined, I was group, around a group of pastors years ago, and we were like, okay, let's, let's nail down a definition. And they couldn't do it. And eventually, here's what I settled on. The good news is the substitutionary life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners and for the glory of the cosmos and for the restoration of the cosmos for the glory of God. Okay. Jesus substitutionary life, death, and resurrection on behalf of sinners and for the rest restoration of the cosmos to the glory of God. 
This is the good news of the gospel, meaning he substituted our life for his, his life for ours. He lived the life we should have lived. He goes to the cross and dies in the place of real sinners saying, I, I will die the death that you deserve to die. The, the, the life that, that you lived and what you merited, I will take on what you merited and be judged for it and receive the wrath of the heavenly father against sin and injustice. I will take that in your place and I will give to you my life, my righteousness, and my heavenly father will account to you my life that I lived. And this great exchange, as it's called, is that I get imputed Jesus' life. Jesus got imputed my life, took my life, and it was counted as his. And I get his life and counted as mine. And so for the believer, for the, those who are in Christ Jesus, why we can't stop talking about the cross, why we love talking about the Christ, and we love you, and we want you to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. We want you to see the power of the cross is because our life has been turned upside down. We have been born again. Our life has been made new. The Holy Spirit has invaded our life, granted us repentance, turned our eyes upon Jesus, and our life has never been the same. There's power here. In fact, this is nothing that we did. It has nothing to do with, we, with what we figured out. It had nothing to do with us separating ourselves from you as a non-Christian and proving something to God. It had nothing to do with our merit or what we earned. We earned the same judgment on the cross that you deserve. That's what we earned. But in verse 30 of 1 Corinthians, it says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. It's not because of me that I am united to Christ. It's because of God and his mercy and his grace. And because of that, it's not in your power. It was not in my power. There is hope because through repentance and faith, what you end up seeing on the other side of repentance and faith, that this was God's work in me. This was not my own work or my own power that I get into this thing. This was God's mercy. And so I want to call you to the cross of Christ. I want you to look at the cross of Christ and get through that bad news. If you can just sit through that bad news it, when you hear you're a sinner and I'm not going to affirm your sin. You need to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. And if you can get through that bad news to the good news, you'll see along with what you'll find as brothers and sisters across this globe who've seen the glory of the cross, not because we've opened our own eyes, but because God has opened our eyes, not because we've opened our own heart. It's because God has opened our own heart. It's not because we figured things out in our mind, but it's God has cleared out the mess and the suppression of the truth and open our life and reality uh, to reality as it is. We, through repentance of faith, have seen the glory of Jesus because of God's work in our life. This is what we want you to see, that human boasting is removed. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Our boast is in the glory of God. And so if you're one of those non-Christians listening in here in the city of Carbondale or anywhere throughout the world, I, I want to plead with you. We love you. We want you to repent and trust in Jesus. If you're listening and you have a friend, you think, man, I'd like them to hear this. Okay, spread, spread the news. Like, share it. Okay? If this has been helpful. And uh, for my brothers and sisters listening in, it's just encouraging, isn't it, to think think through that the word of the cross is not folly because we see the glory of Jesus there. We see the value of Jesus there, that he would do this for me. I didn't deserve it. I, I see what I deserved in the cross. And yet Jesus died for me. He is worthy of praise, glory, and honor. This is amazing. Okay. Now let's flip the switch again and let's turn the corner again and let's talk about new covenant fatherhood. And really, this is just a thought experiment. We were preaching through, we are preaching through the gospel of Luke. And we bump up into, in Luke chapter 1, conversation about John the Baptist. Let me just turn there real quick. Luke, John, and as we talk about John the Baptist, um, I can't, again, I always struggle to talk and turn. I literally am one track, one track mind. I cannot do two things at once, ever. Okay. We get into verse 16, 
talking about John the Baptist. Actually, let's start in verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth, for we for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit of and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready the Lord a people prepared. This is a quote from the book of Malachi. This is the promise of the Elijah that will come, which Jesus tells us is John the Baptist. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great before the great and awesome day the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So what we're told is something is going to happen when John the Baptist comes. And I think this is indicative of what happens with the Spirit of God as the Spirit of God invades the people of God is that there's something happening in this father-child relationship. Now, when we think about in the Old Testament, again, this is a theological thought experiment for you to work through, to develop, to think, and process through. In the Old Testament, we think about fatherhood, what we see even in the patriarchs, okay? Abraham would be representative of one of the good fathers, okay? And yet, even as a good father, he makes mistake after mistake after mistake, sin after after sin after sin. And we often talk about one of the best things you can do as a father for your children is to be a really good husband. And, and how many times Abraham just failed at the father of our faith. And when we think about David as a king, David as a warrior, and David is a, as a poet, you know, as, as John Level says, a warrior poet. David <clears throat> is this guy that's just a man's man. He's just phenomenal. But in this area of fatherhood, David messes up royally. And this really is the whole story of the Old Testament is the failure of fathers. We see fathers failing over and over to teach their children to remember the redemption of, of, of God bringing his people out of Egypt or why do we keep these rules? And they, they forgot over and over again. We see generation after generation of fathers that fail. Then we have this promise about fatherhood. When Elijah comes, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. So what seems to happen is this legacy of faith in the Old Testament from one generation to the next, it very rarely do you see one generation to the next, there being faithfulness in, in, you know, within the people of God. And then this promise that in the New Testament with John the Baptist and him and his work, ushering in this work, fathers and children will be turned to one another. Now think about the commands, the New Covenant commands to fathers about raising our children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, not provoking our children to anger, but instead raising them the way God would have us. With the promise of the Spirit here, from Pentecost forward, where the Holy Spirit of God is in, is working in our life within the, within the New Covenant, which is unique. In the Old Testament, we are saved the same way in the New Testament and the Old Testament. I give that. But we cannot, I think this is a failure of many to develop a robust understanding of this is what is actually new when the Holy Spirit works in the life and invades the life of all believers, where the Holy Spirit is actually dwell indwelling believers. This promise in the Old Testament of this new heart, this heart of stone being removed and the heart of flesh being here and the Spirit of God indwelling us, that we actually have abilities that the old covenant, old covenant saints did not have. We actually have abilities to live this life better to be better fathers. God has given us the ability to be better fathers than in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, pre-Pentecost, pre-John the Baptist coming. We have a new ability that was not there in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, new abilities to live this life to higher degrees of sanctification. You might say, well, wait a minute. Okay, okay, really? Higher degrees of sanctification from Abraham or to Isaiah? And yes, 
I, I don't I think we we have to conclude that from from the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is enabling us and empowering us to live and walk in a way that's different than pre-Pentecost. Now, in the area of fatherhood, fathers, you have, through the power of the Spirit, the ability to, instead of provoke your children to anger, instead of living like the Old Testament fathers, to see, with the Lord's help, a legacy of faith, to prod your children in the right direction, to raise them up, to discipline them and train them in the instruction of the Lord, the ways of the Lord, the paideia and the culture of the Lord, that in this home, we are a Christian home in the sense that the rules, the practices, the principles, the ways of living, this is Christ-like. We're honoring Christ here. And what you're doing then is exposing them, requiring obedience of them until the Holy Spirit of God does a work in their life through the law of God. And they're realizing these commandments that my my dad and mom love, this, this discipline that they're raising me up in, this training they're raising me up in, where the Holy Spirit of God comes and just brings them to life. Where they're convicted of their sin and they trust in Jesus, they're born again. And we have this ability, this this, this new covenant fatherhood to father in a way that the patriarchs and those of old didn't. And I want us to step into that in greater ways. I want that for our church, and I want to encourage our church. And again, this is a theological thought experiment. I don't have all this all this worked out. This is a lot for for you to think through in a process as you're thinking through this. Okay, how does this work when it comes to this area of fatherhood? What is it that the hearts of fathers will be turned to their children, meaning they're not turned to their children in the day that it was prophesied about, in the same way. Whereas when John the Baptist comes, they they will be turned to one another, and that's what we're living in right now. I think that's good news. I think that's encouraging news. Okay, guys, this has been a longer episode, but I hope it's been helpful to you. And uh, thank you so much for continuing to come back. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Thanks again for listening to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. For more information, you can go to theshepherdscrook.co. Please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. And if you want to become a member of the Shepherd's Crook, please message me and we'll get you on the list. We hope you have a great rest of your day.